Today's episode is brought to you by DiaperDude.com. Men now have a choice to carry a bag designed by a dad for dads, because diaper bags are for everyone. This podcast might have bad words, because my daddy says words like sh**, damn, and other bad words too much. Listener description is advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a podcast for dads where dads talk about life, kids, and stuff. We are your hosts, Galan, Joe, and I am John. Today we have a special guest we're going to introduce in one moment. Of course, later we're going to get to our regular segments that you've come to expect or and or dread, maybe. <laughs> um, ask the dads, dad jokes, things to check out, and of course in a few minutes here we'll catch up with the dads. But first... Joe, let me throw it over to you so you can sure. introduce our guest today. Absolutely. So with us today is Jacinto or Cinto Ramos Jr. He's a trustee district one of Fort Worth ISD Independent School District. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy has been on the board since 2013. Is that yes, correct? Correct. And did you are you getting reelected or you I ran unopposed? Right? Ran unopposed. Okay. Awesome. So Sweet. is your second term? Yes. Right. Okay. And so this is a guy who I actually heard speak a couple months ago back at uh, Galan, where Galan and I work, and was so moved by his story about getting involved in the community and getting involved in the school district and being a dad and how that all ties in that I asked him to come on. And here we are on a quote unquote official back to school episode with the guy who knows more about schools than me or than Galan any of or us. John. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> Cinto, welcome to the show. Thank you for, yeah, very thank much. You for joining us. Thank you for joining us. Awesome. What's before we uh, catch up with these dads that we get to talk to all the time? What, what's been up in uh, your world recently as far as being a dad? Any fun stuff happening? Yeah, absolutely. We're getting ready to take our oldest one back to college. He's at Texas Christian University, so he'll be oh, starting nice. sophomore year. Nice. So we'll be moving him back in uh, during the week. And uh, my middle one, who's going to be a senior, so he oh, two wow. a days has started. Well, the version <laughs> of two a days is now. Right. So they start practice at six thirty in the morning and. Uh, I'm not the one that necessarily gets up for those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> School's like three minutes down the street, but my oh, wife nice. takes pl- great pleasure in uh, driving him because she's knowing that after this year, he's he's moving on as well to a university, Lord willing. So, yeah. And we've got an 11-year-old, so it's just going to be his first year of middle school going oh. into sixth grade. So, Oh, wow. It's a big each jump. One, yeah, each <laughs> one's got some exciting life stages that, that, that we're looking forward to. That's awesome. And I, when I played football in high school, like the one year before I broke my arm really bad, like I skipped two days. I'm like I'm not going to that. Oh, of course, I came in like that's pretty. A good, that's a good decision. Pretty, pretty low on the death chart, but I made starter within two weeks of the season, so it's a humble brag. Yeah, humble yeah. brag. But it's like you could throw a football over that yeah. mountain. <laughs> yeah, I could throw a football over the mountains. But uh, but no, yeah, like two days are just that's. I think that any I mean, it's the not kids that, that bad go because that. of the Texas summer. Yeah, so yeah. mild. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure at 6:30 it's 95 degrees already. Yeah, it's, it's a nice know, that's light breezy 93 degrees. Man, that's and that's cool. Like TCU, that's such a great neighborhood up there. Where yep. you know, and that it has expanded so much. Yep. So it's really cool. It's good. Right on, right on. Uh, Joe, what have you been up to, man? Man, so I am back at work now. I'm off parental leave. I'm back at work. Really? Like, yes. Was this week the first week? It was, and then Galan was off this week, so I didn't even get to 
chat and catch up with him. So I still haven't talked to them except since the last time we recorded. Yeah, but it was real weird when we came in and you haven't talked to us until just now. I know. It's weird. At all. Yeah, at all. Usually I'm like calling you guys at 3 a.m. Hey, you guys watching TV <laughs> hey, right now? Hey, what guys. Are you doing? What are you doing? How's it going, guys? I'm, I'm up with a baby. What are you guys doing? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> trying to sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, uh, it's been uh, it's been good. It's it's an adjustment. Um, one of the things I'll say has been I missed, um, and I had forgotten this that when because I've seen my son every day since he's been born, all day every day, and now going to work, I don't see him during the day. And when I've come home, he recognizes my face and lights up and like smiles. And I forgot like how good that feels to be gone all day and have this like little baby smile at you. So that's been amazing. Um, I did have this interesting kind of, um, kind of pivoting off of that, this kind of interesting, uh, comparison that I wanted to just kind of share over the last couple of weeks, um, that I thought you guys would find interesting. So we took my kids to a park a couple weekends ago and it was packed, you know, it was, a, it was like a Sunday morning, lots of cool stuff going. And I heard these two moms talking as my, as I'm watching Sylvie play. And this one mom, and it's like, clearly they're meeting up, like they talked online or something and they're meeting up so their kids can play. And this mom is like, um, how many kids do you have? And the lady's like, oh, I have three kids. And she says, oh, really? I have three kids too. That's awesome. So every, and they're the same age. And the lady says, oh, no, I should have clarified. I have two kids. And then my husband, he's basically a third kid, right? And the other mom was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? And I got a, highly offended about that. <laughs> But that's, you know, everybody... It's like a standard mom joke, I know. I'm sure. but, but, mom jokes are not accepted right here. <laughs> but it's, I don't know, it, it offended me and it didn't sit well with me. Um, and then last weekend, we went to a, a, a parenting conference in Fort Worth at the Botanic Gardens. And you had a lot of parents there that were actively co-parenting. Like dads were taking the kids so moms could look at stuff. Moms were taking the kids so dad, dads could look at stuff and they were equal partners the whole time and it's just interesting to me to have like this the world that we live in that you have people that call their spouses another child and then you have people that are working as a team and it's just like I don't know I feel like it works better when you work as a team um also I don't want to be called a child so you know that's why I didn't well think, note but, for next time. right <laughs> you have an unhealthy obsession with Batman no, I'm <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no. I just kind of wanted to pitch that out there for y'all's thoughts because I found that interesting that like a mom would say that, and then another mom like at these <laughs> conferences never would have said that kind of a thing. That yeah, you know? it makes me laugh just because right? it sounds so cheesy. Yeah, that's what. Uh, I don't know. But know, I, I mean, I I can understand because it's like you know like we're a generation raised by video games now. Yeah, and movies and DVDs and then cable and everything i sound like tyler durden from fight club or it's like 50 500 channels on tv nothing on right but it's like you know it's i'm I'm almost 40 and i still play video games so i can understand you know a mom that feels like they're doing everything trying to make light of it or something right but yeah i think that that's uh you know it's probably a reduction of what their husband does yeah i just like and the fact that the other mom reacted so like i guess taken aback like why would you say that that's Really yeah. weird. I actually have three kids. What do you say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You tricked me. Oh, you have four kids. Right. <laughs> but, oh, my uh, God. <laughs> no. But, yeah, no, I just thought that was interesting. So I always like to pitch out these observations I see on the playground. <laughs> right. A lot of stuff happens on the playground. Dude, a lot, a lot goes down. 
That's right. Right on. Galan, yeah. what have you been up to? I oh. ask knowingly. Yeah, John knows. Um, <laughs> over the last week, actually, John, John's brother and I recorded... We got 11 songs done, so we recorded music, uh, essentially like a couple of, of EPs, not like actual to be pressed into vinyl records, but just a mini release. And so it's uh, got all the, you know, almost all the track, or got all the tracks done, almost all the pickups, and it's just a matter of um, sitting down and mixing and figuring out which takes that we did multiple takes, which ones. So that process is going to be lengthy. But uh, man, you know, so as I was off for a week and... It felt like work. I, I took a nap every day except for Friday, just because when we were done with recording, we came home and unloaded, and I had to make sense of, you know, uh, all the music stuff that I have, which is way too much, and yet not enough. <laughs> but uh, but you know, it, it's really cool to sit down and and work with people that you respect, um, you know, especially in your hobby that, you know, you view their strengths um, and, and weaknesses as counterpoints to your strengths and weaknesses, and. Um, amazingly, I spent almost 50 hours with these two guys and we didn't kill each other or really ever get angry at each other at all. It was just a matter of fun. And, um, there were frustrations had when we couldn't play a part right or something. And there was some collaboration and it was just really cool to, you know, if you, if any of you dads out there are musicians, it's that collaborate, that collaborative effort of, of playing with musicians and stuff is just really, really cool. It was very fulfilling. Um, and then interestingly, a, a bit of drama. So, I, I tried recording a, a vocal line Friday that I, I didn't feel was very strong. And, of course, I'm tired by that time. And it, it wasn't necessarily the best take, but it's one I was listening to. And my wife apparently heard it. And so she's like, was that uh, what, is that one of your songs that, that I heard? Were you, were, you, were you singing? And I'm like, oh, no, it was one of the recordings. And she's like, well, you can tell you're not a singer. And I was just <laughs> like, so... Like I've been, I've been with my wife for 14 years and I didn't, I didn't like that absolutely gutted me like wow. emotionally. Like, I'm like, I have well, a few, because you're weak. I am weak. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what, no, but then <laughs> it's like, you know, there, there, I, I, have, I, have, I only have a couple of hobbies and I think I'm, I'm good at them. I'm not great. I'm not some like, you know, like a prodigy or anything, but I, I feel like I'm solid and it's just for the one person in the world whose opinion is supposed to matter the most, right. just to, to, to her to throw it out so casually. I'm just like. All right, so I'm like I don't want to play music anymore. <laughs> like Aww. it's just a super, super emotional reaction. Sure, yeah. But we went to eat, and she's like, "What's wrong?" And I'm like, "Oh, nothing." You just crushed my dreams. Yeah. So it's like, but it was like That's I was all. I was just emotionally <laughs> distant, and I had no idea how to even address that because it's like I've not been made to feel that small in a long time. So of course she worked today because it's back to school, and so I had all day to kind of stew on it. And I just told her I'm like, you know, and so I, I basically said that I'm like, I sat down and I'm like. You know, you said this. This is how I felt. And, dude, she felt like absolute crap. She was like, that's not what I meant. She's like, you know, you're a guitarist. You know, I'm paraphrasing now. But essentially it's like if if there was a, someone were to, you know, basically between being a guitarist and a singer, you're a guitarist. Your talents are evident there. And as a singer, it's like you sing infinitely better than I do. But you can just tell you're more talented at guitar. And I'm like, that makes sense. And that's what I assumed you meant. But... And the whole thing is like, it, whether you're in a marriage, a partnership, or something, it's like communication is so important. Yeah. And to sit down and be like, you, you absolutely like shot an arrow like straight through me. And I want to talk about it. I want to tell you how I feel. And I hope. And Ellie was sitting at the table, so it's like I want Ellie to see that we communicate. 
and see how important communications are to a healthy relationship, a healthy marriage. Yep. Um, and really, I mean, you know, it's cheesy and cliche, but it's a healthy friendship that we should all be, I mean, we should be friends with our spouse. I mean, they're not just our spouse. They're supposed to be our best friend or one of our best friends. And, you know, it was really hard because for like the next hour, she's like, I wish you had said something last night. I, I, I feel so horrible. I'm like, don't like it's out there. We moved past it, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm still going to. I'm, I'm, I thought I'm like I'll I'll move my amp down so you can put your sewing machine up that way you can have space you know I just I have an amp back in Ellie's room and, but really I'm like I'm just gonna pack it all up put it in the closet man <laughs> then did so, you did you get back to watching Oprah or whatever <laughs> yeah, it was, was eating, your, your sitting, stories sitting, sitting up with the blanket eating the eating some bonbons watching Oprah had a nice glass of wine after but no that. but no it was good it was it was it was really really cool um to to do that and it's something that I hope we're gonna do. Um, at least annually, if not maybe buy-in or every other year, just to put down songs and, and get stuff done or, and, and maybe even have a setup in my room in, or in Ellie's room to where if we get a, a song idea, and get something done too. I'm excited to hear this stuff. Like yeah. I was texting back and forth with these guys, and it they yeah. sounded like they were pretty solid, so I'm excited. No, no, we had fun, but we're bad. Yeah. <laughs> Set the but, bar low. But, <laughs> but you will be hearing it. In, it'll be, uh, we'll be using that as to supplement our bumper music in between segments. And so you're getting it whether or not you want it. What a treat. Yes, you're getting <laughs> it whether you like it or not because we don't have to pay royalties for it. Well, we own it. Uh, we've been really excited since to hear about your story yes. ever since Joe told us about uh, hearing what you had to say. So uh, when we, we're going to take a quick break uh, and what, have a word from our sponsor. Yep. And right. we will be right back with Cento. For over a decade, Diaper Dude has been designing diaper bags for today's dad to make their life as a parent easier, stress-free, and fashionable at the same time. Functionality is key when it comes to your bag, and that's their main focus. With a large selection of colors to choose from, camouflage, gray, navy, or sleek basic black, Diaper Dude appeals to all dads. Each bag comes complete with a padded changing pad to provide comfort when changing your baby on the go. The role of dad is changing dramatically, and Diaper Dude is part of that change. Their goal is to assist dad and make him feel more comfortable and confident while on the go. Joe and I have been using our bags for a while now. We both find them comfortable, roomy, and easy to use. Go to diaperdude.com, use promo code DETOX10, that's D-T-A-L-K-S-1-0, to get 10% off of your purchase. In September, we're going to be giving away a Stroller Caddy Plus in caramel color. All you have to do is like us on Facebook for a chance to win. Go to Facebook.com, look up the Detox Podcast, hit the like button, and you're entered in to win. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. Right now, we are going to kick it to our special guest, Mr. Cento. Thanks again for being with us. And we just really want to get in this part, your story. kind of. So how did you kind of get to be on the fourth ISD board? What drove you to do that? And then just kind of what has your journey looked like up to this point? Well, guys, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, my, my story's um, pretty basic for me, but it doesn't seem to be too basic for others. <laughs> it w- is a story of where I grew up in Northside Diamond Hill of Fort Worth, Texas. Um, most people would call it the stockyards, but one block east, southwest, or north of there is the hood. And uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing for us, right? We don't use that as a negative connotation. But in our neighborhood, we, uh, we're one of the top 10 worst zip codes in the state of Texas based on poor education, poor health care, and a lot of crime, which all of those things pretty much lead up to that. And um, growing up, I didn't see it as that. 
But once I left the neighborhood to go to college, um, I began to hear that that's what the statistics and the data was. We did have a lot of uh, homicides. We did have a lot of crime. We did do a lot of funerals, but it's almost as if we were conditioned to believe that that was the norm because of what we're seeing on TV. And this is also the late 80s and the 90s, so NWA, all these groups come out. So then we're thinking, oh, yeah, okay, so everybody else is like us. But then getting out of the neighborhood and going to college uh, wasn't okay with that narrative anymore. So um, my sister, I've got, I've, there's four of us, and two of my siblings went to Northside High School. The other two of us, uh, myself and my baby sister, got to go to Nolan Catholic. So you've got two children who are private school, then you've got two that are public school. We could tell in our home that there was a major difference in academic achievement and attainment. Um, And so we had begun to believe the narrative as well that in the schools in the inner city, they were not preparing children for college and career readiness. Uh, my, My sister, who's two years younger than me, had graduated from there, from Northside High School, as salutatorian. And after she graduated, I think about a year, year and a half of being at UT Arlington, couldn't complete her studies, had to then leave to go to Tarrant County College. So then that really just validated what the family and the community believed, that they may be graduating, but they're not fully prepared for what's to come. And it was what we had suspected, uh, a, a set of low standards. And the neighborhood, for the folks who couldn't do anything about it, couldn't send their children anywhere else, were forced to send them there and work with what they got. We weren't, my wife and I, um, married almost 19 years this year. Congratulations, thank by the way. Thank you, thank you, yeah. She, uh, she graduated I w- from there. I am not going to congratulate you. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, no, congratulations, just kidding. Thank you, yeah, I mean, 19 years next month, so let's make That's sure I get there, right? Right, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, we, she graduated from there, and she had the same belief. So all of that put together, when we had children, uh, because I had gone to private school, I started in public school up until third grade, fourth to 12th, I went to private school. I was determined to send my kids to private school. And when my child, when my, when my oldest was born, um, we actually had a fight about where he was going to go to school. She said, he can go to public school because I'm a public school product. And I said, no, he's going to go to private school because we can afford it. And that's where he ought to be. We want him to get a good value system. We argued back and forth and guess who won? I won, right? I don't know how, <laughs> but somehow, some way I won. And, and then as he started private school in pre-K, um, she loved that, that community, that tight-knit community because we didn't necessarily want to move out to the suburbs just yet. We thought, let's try private school. He thrived. He did, he did well for a little bit, and then he began to have um, some academic challenges. And the private school was not prepared to help him with it, so we then had to call in and tap in some public school education resources that our tax dollars were paying for. We then end up where um, our second son had also started in private school, we made a decision to leave Northside Diamond Hill. We made a decision to move out to Haslett, Texas and enroll our kids in Northwest ISD because we could financially afford it. And we thought that's the definition of somebody who makes it in America right. when you leave the hood. Right. So right. Be- believing that narrative from 2005 to 2012, we lived in the suburbs. And the reality is that suburbs was not for the Ramos household. <laughs> we didn't know what an HOA payment was. We didn't know how strict they could be. Here I am getting a letter about a trash bin being in the front, being threatened with a fine. I mean, here I am, you know, got one bush that's not growing the way it was supposed to, and I'm getting threats. I'm like, really? You know, in the hood? We don't have to worry about this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other part is because it was growing and it was booming so fast, so many of the homes around us were being bought and leased out. So we didn't necessarily have neighbors that were going to be there for the, ne- for the generations to come. In Northside Diamond Hill, we knew everybody around our block. 
oh, and yeah. we knew everybody in the neighborhood because we've been born and raised there. So there's a lot of things that we missed about the inner city and what we come to, you know, really just say the hood is our home. That's where we come from. We've never stopped worshiping there. We stayed at All Saints Catholic Church. Um, we, we stayed involved with our youth group and developing young people. <laughs> Literally what, what ended up happening is we're just going back to Haslett just to go sleep. And then we got this mm -hmm. traffic that boom, you know, got really bad on 35. Yeah. It didn't matter if you went up Main Street either. The traffic was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we got this high-quality education because Northwest had high expectations and my children were treated fairly well that um, seven years later, my wife says, um, I really want to move back. Well, at that time, I had just met the principal at Northside High School. His name's Tony Martinez. And I'm a juvenile probation officer. So I know okay. the schools in the county. I could literally put a blindfold and you can take off my blindfold in two, three seconds. I can tell you what district I'm in. That's how confident I feel about wow. the differences in the districts surrounding us. Wow. So meet Tony and this guy's inspiring. He was from the neighborhood. He was back. He was, uh, he's in the later stages of his career. And he's just saying, we're going to transform Northside High School from a low standard to a, a great college prep looking environment. And he really has. So from 2012 to right now, that's what he's done. It went from 30 wow. plus percent children going to college in 2012 to this year had the high, the biggest graduating class and over 70 percent are college bound. Wow. Oh, wow. That's wow. awesome. So, so we, I had faith in this guy when I met him and I told my wife, I think we can move back. There's this guy, this principal. So we did. And he had told me, bro, I got you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm da, da, da. thinking, great. Well, first day I go to enroll my son uh, in summer of 2012. And immediately, a counselor lowers the standards on my kid. So the oldest one that's at TCU now, she, she said, um, I, I went in and I, and I went in a suit and I had my son well-dressed so the stereotypes wouldn't be a factor. And uh, I said, I want him in, in dual college credit as soon as possible. I want him in AP classes because he's taking all pre-AP and Haslett. So what do we got to look at? And she's like, well, he needs to prove himself first. What are you talking about? We're coming from the suburbs. He's, he was in private school his earlier years of his life. My son is well prepared. Let's get to this. So as she lowered the standard, I got really upset. And I went down to the principal and the principal said, man, I wish I could help you, but she's kind of protected by the unions. And wow. then I, that was my lesson in that there's systems at play here that are sometimes hindering good leadership. So I went and met with some district leadership and uh, they didn't seem to care about what I had to say. Wow. And so I, and so I met with some folks that were in positions of power elected officials as well and everyone seemed to just think that this is the status quo and this is how it should be now mind you most of them either didn't have kids or didn't have kids in the school system wow so i told these folks you ought to be careful the way you're talking because somebody's going to run against y'all one day well i didn't know that three months later that'd be me putting my name <laughs> on the ballot <laughs> the last thing i wanted to do was to be labeled a politician see a politician i think in a lot of areas but even in my neighborhood especially people with positional power are frowned upon because we're assumed that positional power will corrupt you, mm -hmm. right. and especially for people of color. So in my neighborhood, that was the last thing I wanted to have attached to my name. Mm -hmm. What I haven't told you is I did 12 years of gang intervention, did youth ministry, juvenile probation. So one thing I knew, I knew young people, and yeah. I definitely knew young people in my neighborhood. And so what I also knew is that my kids were not going to fail in an educational system. And so when I ran, we ran with all these people that we had impacted, never knowing that I'd come asking them for something in return. So we had all the different gangs in my neighborhood get together and register to vote and came out to vote. They would tag me wow. on their pictures on social wow. media. That's awesome. When I'd have different gangs vote and they'd be like, it's the first time we've ever voted. We just want to let you know that we we're here for you. 
uh, our youth ministry. So we'd have over a hundred young people a week volunteering Canvas. We ended up camp. We ended up covering my district, District One, two times in one day. That's impossible. Wow. Most people struggle to get it done once in one week. Right. But that's how many people, young people, we had. And what I had recognized is that they weren't doing it for me as much as they were doing it for the vision that we had described, that we would have an educational system that demanded the best and would accept nothing less, that would raise the bar, and that because we were low socioeconomic community, because we were people of color, and you notice I'm not saying the word minority. Mm -hmm. So right. those are the things that we talk about, right? Mm -hmm. And then when we won the election, it was a huge celebration. But it all started because I was upset with the system because I wasn't going to let my kids walk into one that was going to demand less from them based on any ism that was out there. Oh, yeah, something when, – when you're talking to those people, I'm getting choked up just thinking about this because you're talking to the very people whose first priority should be your kids and their education and preparing them for the future and what that could mean to their families in the future, their communities in the future. And these people just they, – they, it's like they had grown so complacent that it wasn't about that at all. Was was that a huge wake-up call for you when that when you that happened, when you talked to those people? My first year and a half on the board was a depressing year and a half. I was so frustrated because I did. Um, not to disrespect my colleagues, but uh, my, my friends say that I have a, a value system that says that I need to speak truth to power. I'm not there for the adults, right? I'm there right. for the young people that got me elected and for the community that I was born and raised in and the things that frustrated me. So I luckily haven't made too, too many en enemies, but because I believe that what I'm saying is true and, yeah. that, and that these things need to be addressed. So my first year and a half on the board, conversations were about contracts. Conversations were about vendors. Conversations were about uh. who's going to get the, the contract for the curriculum and who's going to mm. get the contract for the food. And I'm sitting there like, man, I'm one of the few people on the school board whose kids are actually in the system. And not only that, but I'm not sending my kids to a school of choice or any of those. I'm putting my kids in the backyard, in my hood. Mm -hmm. I'm literally gambling with my flesh and blood. So that's personal for me. Right. Oh, so yeah. when I'm in there, I'm sitting there observing adult behavior that's impacting student outcomes. Yeah. yeah. And the student outcomes are very, very personal. So we can fast forward to where we're at right now to tell you that what we've gone in four years is from conversations about, oh, I'm doing this for the kids. Well, which kids are you talking about? Because if your kids aren't in the system, yeah. and if the kids that you think are here in Fort Worth ISD don't look like the actual representation we have now, what I mean by that is we have 89% children of color in Fort Worth ISD. We have over 70% oh, wow. low, so low socioeconomic. So I'm telling my colleagues, the standards have got to be raised. Right. And the conversations have got to shift from contracts to student, student outcomes. So our saying that we have now is that student outcomes won't change until adult behaviors change. So it's almost like they were running it as, as a, I mean, I mean, it is in a way, but running it as a business instead of an education. Absolutely. You know, and it's like, and that, that's, that's so, I mean, for, I mean it's, it's weird it's, to it, think about. Yeah, I mean, it's, right. it's, as someone who is a kid, it's going to go into probably birdvilleisty, but it's just the end that, that it's uh, the dollars and cents were more important than a's and a's and b's and the and d's that i got <laughs> and, we were, yeah. and, and one of the things you mentioned and, and it's it's not necessarily the same thing but it's when we were in high school um john and i went on a mission trip up to east st louis illinois which is one or two of the worst cities crime-wise in america i mean there were gunshots at night 
you know, and we were doing vacation Bible school and everything. And if I remember correctly, and I, I could be remembering wrong, because we were there for the kids, like the gangs essentially did a ceasefire because they saw the value in what the kids were getting from these people from out of town. I mean, really a bunch of, of white kids coming up from Texas out, of, you know, and, and doing things for their kids, whether it was making snow cones or teaching them or well, the arts and crafts or whatever. And it was really cool because you think of when you hear gangs and, and crime and poverty that you, you know, they're still people. Absolutely. And it's like the, the fact that they were so about the kids and, and making sure that the kids were done. It's like that's something that 23 years, almost 23 years later, it says stuck with me that it's like, you know, there's a narrative that, that our society paints about East St. Louis and St. Louis for that matter. That's where my wife's from, too. That it's, or you know. For- North or North Fort Worth, or yeah. we, we actually went to Castleberry, so it's like when you said North Side or Diamond Hill, I'm like, oh yeah, those those names ring a bell, and I have a narrative in my head of what those schools were yeah. 20 years ago when we went to, or 25 years ago when we were in middle school and high school, and it's when you're like, you know, to, to hear you in, in in the victories that you've achieved in your time on the board, it's like that's that's really cool because that runs so like anti against what the, the narrative that that I had and the impression that. I've had of those districts and it's like there's as a parent there's so much hope in that that one I mean one one man can then affect change in two people who then affect it and then eventually you know it's like and like you said you haven't made too many enemies but you know it's, it's being that force force for change is is so cool you know it's especially in those neighborhoods of color or impoverished neighborhoods or, or schools that are are have a reputation for being less than Mm-hmm. you know education focused and it's that's I, i'm kind of i'm kind of at a loss because it's like that i mean again as a parent that gives me so much hope that there are people out there that care that much and especially you have a kid that's out of the system now a kid that's going to be out of the system but yet you have a kid right in the middle of not only the, the challenge of going into middle school and having to assuming that middle school is where the kids start changing class like every class and the the social aspect of going into middle school but it's like you uh, the, their parent and they, and they may not realize or fully realize it but they have a parent that's fighting for them and it's like that's that's so cool like it's such a dad word but it's like that, that is so that, that's inspiring to me it's like what can i do for my kid what can i go and how can i how can i affect change in my kid's life like yeah. and so that's you know i always say it's like i take something from every guest and that's right. something that i'm able to take and it inspired me it's like how can i better my kid i want to I want to kind of yeah. pivot because um, I have a million questions. No, yeah. no, I know. Just from, so, did you? I have a couple. Um, let me kind of think um, of 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 this one. So, um, the board you you described the board kind of being not very representative of of the actual ISD and the percentage of the people there. Um, did you find that stuff didn't change until? people start because you said your first year and a half was like going over this you know very bureaucratic contracts for vendors and all this stuff did you find that a lot of stuff didn't start picking up steam and changing until uh, did the president of the board leave any certain time did they change or did other board members change like if you can kind of speak to like yeah, what your experience what like, was that like, yeah, yeah yeah what what happened internally b- right before to, to actually make the big change in the board to, to where you guys are at now so the reason I said a year and a half is because a year and a half in is when our superintendent, who was our first black superintendent, superintendent. 40 years of service, Walter Dansby, um, suddenly resigns and moves on. That's code for he may have gotten pushed a little bit, gotcha. pushed out a little right. bit, right? Right. 
So we have our first black superintendent who suddenly leaves after only about two and a half years in a row. Wow. Someone who I saw passionately fighting for children and being unapologetic about it. Um, and then seeing what happened to him and how he left, um, that, that took a while for me to process and understand that racism was alive and well. Something that I'm well versed in, but I didn't want to believe that uh, a group of nine elected officials were that fully engaged in. Sure. The, the the story had been that they were already racially driven, um, divided, and um, that's what I walked into. So about six months after that year and a half, um, we had had a new president in Mr. Norm Robbins, who is uh, an amazing listener, great gentleman, very ethical, listens to everyone. But um, we went on a superintendent search and we flopped that because the board's dysfunction became apparent. And that candidate said, I'm not coming to Fort Worth with all that mess. Mm-hmm. At that time, I went around to my colleagues and I said, make me president. Make me president of this board. And I promise you a couple of things. I will go find the best and the right superintendent for Fort Worth ISD. And we will work aggressively to address our issues internally because we can't get anywhere until we address who we are, why we're here, and where we're going. So the board did. They made me president uh, May of 2015. And I got wow. to work immediately. Uh, went out partnered with different folks to find the right superintendent there's a long story there but we got the right one and he's a rock star people the the, the mayor the city everyone's adoring this guy he's he's probably considered right now top five superintendent in the country that's awesome that's awesome that's what we have in fort worth our 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 data just dropped yesterday that we went from 24 campuses that were improvement required we're down to 14 in one year and a half that he's been here wow it's huge things that he's doing because he's a he's a calculated risk taker but all those things began to take place. And in the second year, the board came to me and said, we need you to be president one more time. Your integrity, your leadership. But what I really believe is the reason why my colleagues asked me to do it for two years is they knew how pa- they know how passionate I am. And they know how unapologetic I can be when I need to be. But I also speak in terms of leadership, that leadership of relationships. That in leadership, we have to be optimistic. And we have to have asset-based models, not deficit. So when I would hear a, a leader say, well, you know, you got they're poor. And I'm like, no, heck no. That's absolutely the wrong storyline that mm-hmm. we need to be given. And our superintendent, he has a great, great um, way to, for, for people to understand. He says, what is, what is Fortune 500 companies looking for? They're looking for bicultural, multicultural, bilingual, multilingual, resilient and collaborative people. Well, what, is, what do inner city kids bring? They bring all of those. Mm-hmm. Right. They're resilient. They're 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 facing extreme odds. So it's, it's if we look at them as an asset versus a deficit, if we look at them as an asset to be invested in versus a deficit to be fixed, it's a, it's a change in attitude and mindset. Yeah. So in the last two years um, leading up to this May, that was that was my challenge and that was my goal. And I became the youngest president of the board. I took pride in a number of things, but mainly to go back to what you said, what you said about about my son's. What I didn't tell you is that we had a conversation around my dining room table when I was deciding if I was going to run or not. And I, it was my wife, my mother-in-law, and my three sons. And my mother-in-law was telling me, don't run because the power is going to corrupt you. My wife is telling me, you do what you think you need to do for this family. I looked at my sons and I said, who that looks like you, acts like you, talks like you? In other words, who Latino do you have in your mind that has had positional power and done something great with it. And all three of my sons looked down at the ground and said, we can't think of one person. 
And I told my wife, my mother-in-law, I said, that's why I need to run. Because we need to change the narrative of people of color, and even specifically in this neighborhood, that Latinos and Latinas can do things and not have power corrupt us. Mm -hmm. So we fast forward to when we're in the campaign, the young people took those stories with them and said, you know what, Cinto, you talk a lot about you left the hood, but we think that one of the taglines is going to be, it's not always about leaving the hood. It's about coming back to the hood. Mm -hmm. And the reason was because you remember those movies, Boys in the Hood, yeah. <laughs> Menace <Yeah>. Society, <laughs> for Blood In, Blood Out. The yeah. storyline was always you have to leave the hood to be considered successful. Mm -hmm. My wife and I had believed the hype. We left for seven years, and it didn't fit us. I'm not knocking people who it does fit. And the, young, the story we give young people in Fort Worth, it's not necessarily that you got to leave the hood. And even if you live, you leave, you can go live somewhere else. You can do other things, but don't you ever dare forget who invested in you and who gave you. So I expect you back for career days. <laughs> I expect you back to sponsor a meal for the football, the volleyball team. We have expectations in the neighborhood that we're very, very clear about. You're not leaving and forgetting who you are and where you came from. And that's paid dividends for us in the neighborhood. That's oh, awesome. That's, that's did, awesome. You, did you find um, when you were back and when you were trying to get uh, the, the, the change that, you, that has happened since there, um, did you see a lot of family, like full families getting involved, like parents, or was there some hesitancy in them getting involved because the standards were much lower and now they've risen, but just kind of walk us through kind of what you saw with that firsthand experience. That's a great question. So, you know, I came in and I visited with each principal in my district and I asked them, where are you with parental engagement? And, um, most had something going on. There was one principal who's the closest elementary school to my home. Ms. Marta Plata, she was starting a thing called Parent University. She had been telling me, look, PTAs and PTOs, they have a place. But the reality is that PTAs and PTOs are not really designed for low socioeconomic and people of color. People, Latinos and Latinas want to be able to sit around a table, break some bread, uh, drink some coffee, and just have a charlada, right? a, not charlada, a little conversation, much like this one. And so she said, we're going to start Parent University, and we're going to be responsive to the people that we serve. Man, she went from like graduating that first year, 23 parents who did a 13-week curriculum. Teachers volunteered their time to stay afterwards to babysit the kids. To the following year, having over 50. Oh, wow. Last year, had over 100. Oh, man. I know this year is going to be over 200 <laughs> because what happened is she did parent university. Then the parents said, we need more. She did parent university 2.0, which was another curriculum. And then TCC said, hey, we want in on this. They said, we're going to do Parent University 3.0, and 3.0 is for those that have done 1.0 and 2.0, you're going to go to college or, or get a trade school scholarship to TCC. Dude, that's, wow. that's So awesome. those parents, right, have elevated, and now the, the word spread in the neighborhood. The interesting part is that that old administration four years ago wasn't supportive of this idea. They were hindering her ability to keep it, to expand. Right. And it was other principals that heard of her success and it was me walking around and putting it on my social media and telling people I was just creating hype. Mm. I think one of the gifts that I've been given is I've watched young people in gangs. I've watched how they create, uh, how, how they use their propaganda. Yeah. Right? That's, so I'm like, man, smart. I took notes from them. <laughs> I walk around the neighborhood saying, hey, man, this parent university, this thing is no joke. You got to go check it out. Miss Marta Plata's killing it over there. <laughs> and sure enough, 30 plus principals last year decided to expand parent university. Now it's going wow. district wide. Parents are engaging. But it's changing the narrative that parents don't want to get involved. That's yeah. not accurate. 
they want to get involved, our systems just aren't very responsive to how they want to get involved. You know, I, I have a I have a, a friend that, that that teaches in a different district, and I, I don't want to name it. I mean, she listens, so it's at least she. But it's like it's just interesting that that you have parents and administrators and, and school, you know, and up that that have these innovative ideas, and they want to they have a passion to impact their kids' lives, and the red tape level, the bureaucratic level gets in the way of that. And it's just, it's, you know, to, to be honest, there's times where there's things that she said, and I'm like, okay, that's, that's just a skewed perspective. But then for you to come in and say, no, no, that is what, that this, <laughs> this is what happened here. We need to get the districts that have more money and, 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 and money corrupts regardless of, of race. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it's just like, man, cause like, like I, not just because I know her, but it's like she's passionate about affecting kids' lives, and it's just it's. It, I mean, and it just saddens me that it's like there are people that they that they let their power get in the way of these people that want to innovate and and affect change, they, and, and they they basically roadblock that because it doesn't fit in line with their agenda or what they think is right. And how many of those people don't have kids or don't have kids in the mix? Yeah, I find it, it's def- definitely interesting so far the theme of like, no, look, we just had to change the narrative. We just had to change the narrative because everyone was buying in to this like whatever media fueled narrative or someone, <laughs> something that everyone just assumed is, right. was like the actual reality. And once you really essentially you and, and the principal you're talking about, once, once there's that clear path to success, successful engagement even for the parents, no, they're they're looking for that. They want that changed narrative, and uh, all it, like what it took was just you guys structuring some sort of path to success for that, and it's just grown. That's awesome. Yep. I don't know. I yeah, I, 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 we can sit here and talk. I mean, this is such a fascinating, maddening yeah. subject. Like, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> just yeah, we we could probably have a a an, an hours long mm-hmm. conversation about yeah. your story and the. And we're gonna we're gonna continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's take a quick break, and we're yep. gonna come back. We're gonna talk more about just sort of the aspect of of your involvement with your sons being mm-hmm. on the school board and what that was like, and your your experience raising uh, your three sons. So we'll be right back with more Sintu. We're back with hashtag more Cento. More Cento. Look at all that. That's all I want to say. All right, so so a couple of things because because we want to get into your your experience uh, as a dad while also being on the school board. But uh, one thing I was curious about, and and you mentioned it a little bit, but from the time you went and talked initially to all those school administrators um, and you weren't getting the responses you want wanted till three months later when you were running what what transpired i mean pretty immediately were you like man maybe someone like me needs to run or what what transpired between that those initial talks to where you're talking to your sons mm. and, and realized man i've got to do this wow it, it's um i'm i'm part let me back up i'm part of a, a camp called camp community it's it's a multicultural alliance it used to be called camp Newtown. And as a co-director of that place, we talk a lot about privilege and power. And I had found myself often preaching on how to recognize the privileges that we have and meaning that that's power to be used in our society. 
to, to change it, to impact it. We talked a lot about the power of one. So I had already been thinking and processing what role am I supposed to have? What does God want for me to do in this world? And I felt the nudges in my life to where when that opportunity arose, it was really just, I want to make sure I don't lose my wife and I want to make sure I don't lose my kids because uh, my ego was, was involved where one of my mentors says the ego's acronym for edging God out. So he had told me, don't you dare leave your, your spiritual and your family out of this, this decision. And I've got my mom for that. My mom's traditional, old school Mexican woman who thinks that everything's bad and something bad is going to happen <laughs> from this. <laughs> so my mom was in my ear about don't do it because you're going to lose your wife, you're going to lose your kids. So mm. I think that was really good. At, and, and when we got to that, t- that discussion at the dining room table, I had already made up my mind. I just thought if I get to go ahead from my wife and really my mother-in-law who lives on our same block, which is a blessing, and then having my boys, because my boys I knew were going to take hits in the schools. They were going to be the school board members' kids. And then the one we didn't expect was then there were the school board president's kids. Mm-hmm. And so when you can imagine, um, I, I was trying to prepare myself for what the negative things might be. There's no way I could have prepared for what was to come. So really? running, for, for running for the board was fun. I remember the night when we won, we're having a big, huge celebration party. I've got my family. Now you got to understand, my mom's got over 10 brothers and sisters. My dad's got over 10 oh, brothers and sisters. Awesome. Wow, and so the majority of Northside Diamond Hill feels like. <laughs> you imagine how many cousins we have. And then all the young people. So you can imagine our, our, our night, we're celebrating the big victory. We won with 85% of the vote against wow. the incumbents That's with wow. a PhD. Wow. He had That's a PhD awesome. in education. That's and wild. And we beat this guy. So the neighborhood is You just didn't excited. just beat the guy. That's <laughs> 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 understatement. Yeah. <laughs> and and wow. I can tell you that if I'd have known what he was dealing with back then, I wouldn't have run. Yeah. To be real. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, if I'd have known the fights he was fighting and the reasons why he was so angry, and he was well quoted for saying the Fort Worth way is the white way. So he oh, wow. had he had he had drawn a clear line within that boardroom on a racial racial tension that he had added to it. And I knew that I would bring this camp community model of love and inclusiveness. Right. So here we are at the campaign deal and we're celebrating. And I remember I like to take steps back and just absorb the moment. And on that night, I did that. And my wife is in my arms and I'm leaning back and I'm just soaking it in. And I thought, my goodness, what the heck did I just get myself into? <laughs> I don't like know the first moment. thing about being a school board member. <laughs> yeah. But then the camp community stuff came back in. <laughs> Google.com. Right, right. <laughs> what do school boards do? What is a school board? Now? What is a school board? And in my case, what I had to go back to was, was not let that negativity take over my mind, but to tell myself that God had prepared me to do what he wanted me to do. And being in that state of mind, all I kept thinking is, if I, as long as I never forget, first of all, my sons and the young people that I'm here to serve, I'm, I think I'm going to be just fine. So that's kind of how all that went down. That's amazing. That's awesome. So, so you talked a little bit about worrying about, or at least being concerned about the kind of flack that your your sons were going to take. Mm-hmm. So, what what was that like? What what has been the pros and the cons? Do you think just as far as for for your own um, immediate family throughout this experience? So there there are way more pros than cons, but the cons are pretty intense. The cons, for example, when um, you know rumors start about me i'm young uh, i don't think i'm attractive but people will compliment me from time to time and then you know my energy and my passion mm-hmm. uh, I, I i can rub people the wrong way because i'm unapologetic about children 
and I'm okay with that part, but it's when people take to creating rumors about me mm-hmm. that, that then infiltrate my home, be it uh, about, you know, my home or my community or why I'm even there. So when people begin to question uh, my, my why, um, that's been frustrating because the 38 years of my life, I never had to deal with that. People knew who I was. They knew what I was passionate about. They knew me as a gang interventionist, as a youth, youth minister. And then all of a sudden, people are out there talking bad about me, and then that stuff goes into the schools. So you've got mm-hmm. teachers talking amongst each other, and I'm wondering, do my kids hear about this or not? Mm-hmm. And then I've got to have conversations with my kids. And it turns out that it's not out of the norm as I collaborate with, with colleagues, with school board members all across the country and the state. This is actually pretty typical of a young board member. So mm-hmm. I, I was able to find you know, that, that, that support system with other people in public life uh, but it didn't feel good and didn't have to feel good. Thing is that it was amazing that after first year and a half or two years, my skin thickened like I never thought it would. Yeah. Oh, so my good. wife would say, <laughs> you know, it, it, my wife would say, hey, you know, wh- how do you feel about people saying that you're taking money or that you're doing this or doing that? And I tell my wife, look, I don't care. As long as you love me and my kids love me and, and neither one, none, none of you are leaving me, I can handle whatever's coming. Yeah. And, and sometimes I could and sometimes it was a little bit harder. But um, going back to my roots and going back to my church and going back to my inner circle, uh, that's always been able to, to help me through that phase. Like, so, for example, when my oldest son got the full ride to TCU, he was ranked number wow. three out of over 350 students. Oh, wow. He earned it. Yeah, right. and, and I watched him stay up late at night preparing his essays, doing the applications. And he'd gotten accepted, accepted to so many universities. But then people are out there talking, saying he's only getting it because he's a school board mm-hmm. president's kid. And so, you know, he gets on campus and people say the same thing. And I have to look at him in the eyes and say, absolutely not. Right. So he's getting a lesson much faster than what I wanted him to get about how ugly people can be and how his integrity can be questioned, Mm -hmm. regardless if you have the proof. I'm like, son, baby boy, you're ranked three out of 300 plus people. Your dad won't even rank 30th (laughs) or top 100. Right. Like what you've done is beyond amazing. And you didn't do it because you were my kid. You did it because of the gifts that you're implementing and your passion or desire to make sure that you get to a higher level of education and a good quality institution. So he got over pretty quick and um, the successes, he's a poli sci major, you know, nowhere in our family would we've ever talked about somebody being a poli sci major, but he's got the bug as he's been able to work other campaigns, seen ours. We were itching for an opponent Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of months ago (laughs) and my son was going to take a lead role, but we were ready. And he mm-hmm. was ready to, to take a bigger role, but he's a poli sci major, minor in Latino studies, right. and, and my middle son, um, this is, uh, usually I say I'm not bragging, it's a testimony. This one I'm bragging. Right. <laughs> my middle son is going to be a senior. He's playing football, working at a pizza joint, um, and going to be the incoming class, senior class president. Oh, wow. That's and, awesome. And that's a conversation that I don't know if would have necessarily happened if I hadn't gotten into the role. So what we tell the young people, when big on the My Brother's Keeper chapters mm-hmm. in Fort Worth IZ, we tell the young people when I begin in telling my sons, images dictate your reality. Mm-hmm. And in your case, my sons, I want you to see somebody that looks like you that can have positional power and personal power and knows what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Well, so they, learn how to serve. You know, it's interesting because I mean, your kids are also getting a, a, the, a lesson, which is, I mean, it's been turned into a Facebook meme, but it's, it's essentially like, 
people that don't have success don't want to see you have success or people that see you have, you know, people that aren't happy don't want other people to be happy. And I mean, a full ride to TCU is nothing to sneeze at at all. Um, And it's, you know, to see that in in the jealousy and and envy that people have makes them say ugly things. So that's a a lesson for a 17 to 19 year old kid or however old they were when that happened. That's a huge lesson to get a dose of very early on I mean, because there, there are a number of people out there that don't learn don't learn that into their 20s 30s and there's people that are posting it on facebook that in their 40s and 50s that are learning that lesson even though that should be something that's i mean like well duh yep. but as you know it's just that that's again it's a pro of your situation that you that's a, a massive lesson before they even get into their professional career that your kids can learn that it's like look look at look at this you know and then look at all these rumors and everything and yeah, that's it's, it's it's huge. It is huge, and I think it's it's very clear. You have a very good, open, and honest relationship with your sons about, you know, the day to day struggles in the world. And I just want to kind of pivot. So you've talked about you know kind of privilege and use the privilege you have, recognize it, and I think that's extremely powerful because I think too many people don't recognize the privilege they have and the ability they have to make good of that. Um, how, how have you kind of seen that being, um, you know, a, a Hispanic dad here in Texas and in America and just kind of what has the, some of those conversations you've had with your sons related to that? And also like, what have you seen with other families and as you've been able to help them? So you're going to get me into one of my uh, sweet spots. Yeah, the, the, that was the, that was the goal. <laughs> well, my one of my sweet spots is is talking about race and the social construct mm-hmm. of race. Uh, I teach on it at TCU. I'm an adjunct there in the criminal justice department, and so we can't talk about criminal justice if we don't talk about race and the mm-hmm. impact that it has. Uh, we talk about race in my neighborhood all the time. We talk about race on the school board. Our school board passed a racial and ethnic equity policy, calling out systemic racism. Mm-hmm. When you've got 89% children of color and the 11% are seriously outperforming them, that's a systems issue. Yep. That's not a human capacity issue. And so what we do is we always start the same conversation that you, or the same question you've asked. We always start with the history of race, and it's a brief one, but it's for anyone that wants to uh, get unplugged from the system, from the matrix, so to speak, <laughs> is, is, to, is to Google uh, the origin of Caucasian. And what the person will find is you'll find that there's a skull on, on most of the images of the links. And the skull is linked to Johann Blumenbach. Johann Blumenbach came up with this scientific theory or science and in, in from a theory and said that, that white people, Caucasians from the Caucasus Mountains, were the most superior, most beautiful people in the world. Mm. His limited wow. science that he had in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And when he used that uh, and published it and put that out there, it was something that white people could use to their advantage to say, look, there's science that proves that white people are superior. Mm. That is how this country was founded. We use that same narrative and all of our founding fathers used it as well. We use Christianity. We use the Bible to justify mm-hmm. all of that. So when I'm looking at race, I'm looking at it from historical perspective first sure. that I understand that this is a social construct. It doesn't exist. It's not real that the melanin in my skin or the lack thereof should not be dictating the the assumption of my capacity. So when I'm telling you that I'm changing the narrative, I'm really coming from the point of where race started Mm -hmm. and that this is one guy's idea and it's gone worldwide because it benefits one group of people. Mm -hmm. So then you have dominant group, you have non-dominant groups. So in our country, we started with Caucasoid 
mongoloid, australoid, and then negroid. This has been systemically designed. So if, if we're looking at the statistics and the data and education, education was designed for white, male, wealthy, heterosexual Christian. So it does, those that are not in those categories don't perform as well. So the system is working exactly the way it was designed to work. The criminal justice system, same way. It was designed to benefit other people. And if you've seen 13th, the documentary on Netflix, gives you a great argument as to why black men are the number one targeted group in our country. Yeah. So everything that plays out in the media, I've got answers to the root causes. And for me, I'm a big history buff. So when I look at that, I'm not being lied to anymore. I can't have a presidential administration telling me that this is the narrative and I have to believe it. Right. Because when you know the history, then you, then you know where to go with it. So understanding the social construct of history, uh, of race, and the history that goes along with it, allowed me to educate my sons in my home to say that there are racial identity scales that we can assess where people are at. So having done all those years of gang intervention and working with juveniles in, in the facility, the conversation with children of color has historically been, I don't like white people. White people are the enemy. It's the man. The man's got the foot on my neck. I've been able to take that, that conversation, begin with an academic understanding of race, and then be able to explain to them that, that human beings are way more complex because of this construct. Mm -hmm. So you can't unpackage race unless you understand it. So I'm going to give you for free 99, as we say in my neighborhood. <laughs> Hashtag free 99. Some, something that I, uh, that I train on uh, here locally and around the country, and even more so on school boards, because school boards are mesmerized as how five white board members of Fort ISD and four of color passed the racial and ethnic equity policy unanimously. Well, I'm going to tell you how I did it. These are one-on-one -on -one conversations I had with my colleagues. So we're going to go with white America. And you notice I don't say Caucasian because the term Caucasian is outdated. Mm -hmm. That'd be as if we're calling Asian people mongoloids, australoids, and then the black people calling them negroids. Mm -hmm. So white people, white Americans. Stage one is, is a white person in this country. And it's only relevant to the U.S. because of our history. Stage one is a white person who believes they're superior to other groups. That's easy to identify. Mm -hmm. We're all over the news this weekend in Virginia, right? Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. a stage one mentality of, of they are superior and, and everyone else is inferior. Um, it used to be, I think, a lot easier to hide up until recently, last couple of years. I think mm -hmm. a, little, a couple more people are a little bit more open about it now. Mm -hmm. Stage two is a white American who's becoming aware of saying, my God, what's going on in Virginia right now? Right. What's, been, what's been happening in St. Louis? What's been going on with this Black Lives Matter? Race still a problem? We just had a black president. <laughs> okay, I guess we do have yeah, a problem. Yeah, president. <laughs> Racism's <laughs> ended. Yeah, <laughs> Stage three is a white uh, American who, who sees the racism and the effects everywhere. Mm. So let's stick with educators for a minute. These are teachers who are, are white Americans who maybe lived in outside of these communities and are now coming in to teach at Fort Worth ISD at Stop 6 or Deep South Side or the North Side. I've been able to operate off of stereotypes that this narrative of you was such and such. Mm -hmm. But now I'm in the classroom and I'm teaching you and I'm getting to know you. And my goodness, you're an amazing human being. My goodness, your parents, they do care. They do mm -hmm. want to get involved. My goodness, this neighborhood, not only has, does it have great food, but it's got great people. <laughs> this sense of community is something I'm drawn to. So why are you not performing in the classroom? And in a stage three, they get, they get filled with what's called that white guilt. Mm -hmm. And in that white guilt in stage three, I've, that, that can determine and drive my behavior and my decision making. So what, we, what I'm telling stage three white teachers is don't pity your kids. Mm -hmm. 
your students in your classroom. It's what we call in Spanish the pobrecito and pobrecita factor. So in a stage three, because you pity me in my classroom, you're going to let me what they what they used to do at Northside. You're going to let me turn my homework in late. And, and when I fail my test, you're going to let me retake it. Lowering right? that standard. Lowering that standard. Right. Not because it's the right thing to do, but because I, I feel for you. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and so in that three, that's a dangerous part for, for a white individual to be because your decision making is de- done out of guilt so that you can sleep better at night. Right. Not right. for the right yeah. reasons. Now, to, to take a pause, where do you think that children of color, especially in the hood, where do you think they see white people? One or three? A one. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. They're going to do a flash judgment. They're going to see your white. Boom. They're a one. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to explain it, but I'm helping them articulate that there's a continuum of white. Right. Now, does it, does that, that comes from the narrative that's been perpetuated? Yeah. Even, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. If I mean, well, obviously have personal not. experience, too, <laughs> yeah. but, but I mean, like, that's all part of that narrative. That's yeah. right. Because we have also been fed a storyline about you. And, and until I have interactions or experiences other than that, if the only people that have been coming in harassing my community historically have been white people okay if all my educators predominantly look white which in me i grew up in 70 i was born in 74 the majority of my people in my community were white they were giving me my education and i i had probably nine out of ten great experiences but i remember that one negative one Mm. but then i'm going to lump everybody into one category right and only education can get a white person from three to a four and an education and also recognizing acknowledging that what i'm feeling is not shouldn't be okay let me do some reading. Let me figure out what this means. And in a four, it's a white American saying, what does it mean to be white in this country? Is this thing about Johan Blumenbach, is there any truth to that? Is this historical context of, of everything from Caucasoid to Negroid, is there any truth to that? And if there is, how do I benefit, if at all? And if I come to the realization that I have certain privileges and my children probably have certain privileges that other people don't, then what does that mean for me? And if from a four... Once a white American comes to terms with that, they can move to a five. I love stage fives. Stage five. <laughs> stage stage five. Stage five. I use that hashtag. So there you go. <laughs> a stage five white American is a white American who they know they're white. And they don't take any blame for having enslaved anybody or having oppressed anybody. They, my, if my ancestors did that, then... You know, that's not my problem right now. Right. What is my issue is we got work to do, yeah. right? So I'm not driven by guilt. I'm driven by action. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to guilt me. If I'm a teacher, you're not guilting me in that I'm a bad white person. A stage five have thickened their skin to say, yeah, I'm white. And yeah, I do recognize that I may have certain privileges, but you got some too. Let's talk about those, Yeah. right? And no, I'm not going to let you retake the test and turn it in late because when you get to college, they're not going to let you do that. Right. So why don't we go ahead and prepare you now? Right. And raise the bar and let's handle our business. See, people of color that are historical figures had stage fives along their side, mm-hmm. right? Cesar mm-hmm. Chavez, Dolores yeah. Huerta, they had stage fives. Gandhi had stage fives. Mm-hmm. So when we're telling, it's an education for people of color as well, so that people of color don't put everybody on stage one, right. Right. that there's a continuum. People of color, we got our own stages. Here we go. Stage one, person of color who looks down on their own people. They prefer dominant values. So this is a person of color who oppresses their own people, you know, a, a lot worse than even a white person might. This is a house Negro versus a field Negro, mm-hmm. right? So a stage one, it's a dangerous part to put in, 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 in stage ones have historically been used by white Americans in stage one to, to rule and to govern, mm-hmm. right? So when I'm coming into office, I'm like, ain't no, ain't no way I'm going to be a stage one. Right. 
A stage two is a person of color, same as stage two white person who's saying, my God, race is a problem. When I was in Haslett, I met a number of parents of color who had no idea that racism was still a problem. Wow. They had moved out and had the privilege to not have to think about it. Mm -hmm. But I tell you what, when my son and two other kids got stopped out in South Lake Carroll, walking into a Barnes and Noble, and the only ones that got stopped was my son, who was Latino, and an African-American kid, the white student realized, my God, race is a problem. Wow. Because the white student got to walk in, but he had to leave his two buddies out for a minute. Here's a beautiful piece about young people. He walked right back out and said, I'm not going in then. If my black and my Latino friend can't go in, I'm going to stay out here with them. So I think that there's more young people between the four and the five range just because they're a lot more forgiving and they haven't had to live so many experiences. That might just be one of the theories, right? But at stage two, they're just becoming aware. The dangerous part for stage twos is when if that young African-American kid's mom, she had a choice to make that night when I took him home. She could have said, you know what, well, what did you do? You know, what did you do to stand out or it's, it's to, to project blame on him? Right. What did you do to get stopped and not be allowed to go into Barnes Noble? Right. Or she had the other choice. Tell him the truth. It probably may have been related to a skin color. If the two kids of color can't walk in and the white one does right. tell the kid the truth. Right. right. Because if we don't tell them the truth, then we're doing the internalized version. Right. They're internalizing that. And then there's that belief of there's something wrong with me. Yeah. There's something wrong with my people in my community. A stage three is a person of color. And these are all over the hood. Stage three is a person of color, very different from stage three white. What they do is they're, they're learning, they're rooted, they're, they're, they're proud, brown pride, black pride, you know, black power, brown power, lulax, um, you know, this is public enemy stage, right. you know, fight the power. Right. Right. So the good thing is that they're getting rooted. And so as we talked about the State Board of Education, in my case, I know that the State Board of Education doesn't want my kids, my like, kids of Latino descent, to have their history. There's a reason why, because I understand race. You know why you don't want me to know my history? Because if I'm unrooted, then I can't function. Mm -hmm. I'm disoriented in this society. So in the States 3, when I was at UT Arlington and I had Dr. Jose Angel Gutierrez, who taught me about Corky Gonzalez, Joaquin Murrieta, and I'm learning about Latino leaders that helped make this country great already. So now in the three, I'm feeling pride. And this is where we tell young people, you can't love the fruit if you don't love the root. <laughs> Tagline. Right? Yep. Oh, yeah, that's our line. So yeah. then <laughs> the good and bad. The good yeah. is that I'm getting rooted. The bad is I'm going to be real. There's very little if no room for white people in stage three. Hmm. So a lot of kids in the inner city who have been fed the narrative that white people are bad, they're more likely to be in the three and look at you as the enemy versus as a friend or an ally. We have to have positive experiences with you. And we have to have people that guide us along the line. Now, so when young people see me in the, in the community in a suit, they're going to say, huh, is he a one or a three? What do you think they're going to say about me? One. one. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are good. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to say, man, this dude done sold out a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And then they hear me talk. They hear me speak. They're like, dang, bro, you dropping knowledge. They had, they an, they had an interaction with They you. had an interaction. Yep. And yep. they think I'm a three. And I'm telling them, homeboy, homegirl, I'm beyond a three. Yeah. But only through education do you get there. Same way. So three to a four. A four is a person of color who says, I know who I am and I know where I come from. I got that in my stage three. But in a four, I have been fulfilled. I have been fed. My sons, my job has been to feed them positive narrative about being of Mexican descent, specifically of Purupecha indigenous people from the mountains of Michoacan. So when my kids have that understanding, they've been fed now. They can hit a four, which is to say this world is bigger than just Mexicans. 
right? <laughs> in my case, we went to Europe last summer for over two weeks. And we went everywhere from Poland all the way to Ireland. My kids were ready to be fed. Awesome. Right? Yeah. They've been through three. Yeah. Now, when my son hits TCU, he's able to identify his white colleagues at to what stage they might be. Mm-hmm. My son comes back and says, I've got a roommate that's in stage so-and-so, and I've got a friend that's in stage so-and-so. It teaches us how to interact with one another, mm-hmm. what messaging they want to hear. So in a four, now that you realize this world is bigger than just Mexicans, you can, be, you can learn from other people. In a five, I love stage five and people of color as well. <laughs> stage five is a person of color says, look, I know who I am and I know where I come from. I feel strong. I feel rooted. And that's the part where I become unapologetic. And in a five, my value system is so strong that I stand with who I am, that any time that I speak at the Fort Worth Club, Colonial Country Club, or in the back streets in the hood, I always say, my name is Jacinto Ramos Jr., a.k.a. Cinto. And so for po- folks will usually say, hey, can you give me that name in English? Absolutely. It's Jacinto Ramos Jr. (laughs) (laughs) Because what I'm demonstrating is even not mispronouncing my name. This is for me. (laughs) That's like us. Cinto, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) I ain't mad at nobody for how you pronounce my name, but me, I, right? My I statement is I don't dare mispronounce my old man's name. He gave me his name. I'm a junior for a reason. My last name is Aldaco, which... There are a number of Hispanic people that have the Aldaco name, but I've, I've never had anybody outside of just butchering it. But never had someone be what? What is that in English? I'm probably because I'm white. But it's just it's interesting to have a name that doesn't sound white yeah. and to have never experienced that, and for people just to accept it as eh, it is what it is. Oh no, it's probably some European name, which I I want to say it's I, my dad knows where it's from. I don't. I'm like, I, just, yeah, I got it. Call I, him up. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a second, so it's like I have <laughs> yeah, his name too. Now, so it's like, and, 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 and a name like Galan, like, like, it's it's my name. I don't want. I'm not gonna, you know. Um, but it's just, it's just interesting that it's like that, that you've had that. You've it's like, really been put upon. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, like, uh, outside so of for, for people like mispronouncing my name for the better part of 39 years, but uh, but it's just interesting that it's like I've d- d- two different experiences with with a, a, a name that's not Smith or Black or or you know Jones or whatever. Um, to, 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 to have it, uh, that would never occur to me to be like, well, uh, how do you say that in English? Yeah. Well, you dumbass. <laughs> it's my name. Like there's no, well, the names don't have language. It'd what? be like saying, Miguel, like what, what's, what's that in English? Michael. Well, Michael, you dumbass. But it's, my name's Miguel. My name's not Michael. You know, it's just, that's, again, it's, it's. I just, but I like what you were saying about, you know, being in stage five, but you know, um, you were saying by not, uh, mispronouncing your name um what were you saying along those lines sorry i interrupted you i yeah. apologize <laughs> by mispronouncing by not mispronouncing my name i'm i'm display i've got my value system out wide open sure right yeah. that, that i'm proud of who i am i'm proud of my heritage beginning with how i even introduce myself to 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 the public mm-hmm. and in my home but the other part of stage fives is that the value system is so intact that i've learned how to i'm a master code switcher i, I can function in the suburbs and in the hood I can I, I can eat a, a good meal like yesterday at the Petroleum Club upstairs in the 40th floor, and I can eat a taco at JB Stackery on my favorite spot in Northside, right? In other words, and what I tell the young people is when I'm dressed in a suit as well, I'll tell them what stage five means is that you can function in the hood, and you can function as the president of Fourth Independent School District, a 750 million dollar budget, over 10,000 employees, over 87,000 students, and you don't have to second guess yourself as to am I 
qualified? Am mm -hmm. I capable? Because the level of confidence is so well built, but only because from a three to a four was the best journey for me. For me to have found that white people can be good people, that, that other people of color can be good people, that all walks of life, Muslims, Jewish, which we do at Camp Community, when I get to meet someone that's different from me, it's not a deficit that there's so much beauty that they can add to my life and I just become a better servant to people. So stage fives on both ends change the world. Yep. So my mindset coming in to the school board was that I was going to be a stage five. And when I found my colleagues, they were in different stages and they had to be willing to move mm -hmm. in order for us to do the work that we've done. We're not having com hard conversations on race like the city is right now. Right. The city right now is up in turmoil in Fort Worth. Yeah. We've got all these things that are happening. We got SB4 that they don't want to join litigation on. We don't have those issues because we understand the social construct of race. Mm -hmm. And my white colleagues understand that they don't want to be in stage three in white guilt. My white colleagues are like, what are we going to do about this? Yeah. Matter of fact, they're even more angry about certain situations more than I am because I've already worked through that. Mm -hmm. They're mm -hmm. just becoming aware of it. So to go back to my sons, mm -hmm. my sons are well-versed. In, in the racial identity skills. They're well-versed on the social construct of race. Uh, I told him, I said, and just like I told my students at TCU, I am going to teach you about race and you take what you want from it. But if you master this social construct, you will master on how to navigate in this country because it doesn't matter what, what uh, professional role you take on. When you see someone and you know they're in a stage one, then you know what kind of messaging they need, if any at all. Mm -hmm. You know that if you meet a stage three white person, I'm not going to lie to you. When I was in campaign mode, if I met a stage three white person saying, Cinto, are you going to save all them kids from the barrio and the hood? I can't change that person from a three to a four or five in one hour or five minutes. Yeah, right. So I'm going to give them the message that they want. Absolutely. Give me the money to go out and run a campaign. I will go save them kids from the hood. But when I meet a stage five white person, they'd say, uh, I'm, I'm going to give you a $1,000 campaign contribution. But what are you going to do with my money? There's no guilt associated mm -hmm. with it. It's action oriented. Right. I want to know what you're going to do. And now if I didn't understand race, I'd be like, man, who is this person trying to act like they're better than me? I'd almost categorize them as a stage one. Right. Absolutely not. Yeah. Stage ones and I don't necessarily get along too well just to use <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it, 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 It's funny to use a term I don't fully understand, but it's like stage one is not woke at all. Yeah. Stage two <laughs> is... <laughs> That's right. You stage know. two, maybe one day. Stage three could be. Stage four, woke. And stage four is woke, woke AF. Yeah. Brother, you just dropped knowledge on me. I'm taking that. I'm taking that on the road with The important one is not woke at all. Yeah. So there's a hashtag we use that says, it says you, can't, you, can't be, you can't be woke and broke. Oh. It's also, ooh, you, can't, you can't be woke and broke. Like you can't claim to be woke and yeah. you broke on knowledge. Yeah. It doesn't work. Baby alarm or toddler alarm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, that, that that's, you know, it, it's interesting. I One of my best friends is a black guy, and, and he and I will have conversations that was a on. brag. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> um, we'll have conversations on race, and um, there are things that he'll comment on on Facebook that I'll go down a rabbit hole, and Facebook is one of the worst rabbit holes in, in terms of, of race to go down because whew, it's very polarized. That's right. And. But it's interesting, you know, it, it, he he's supportive of our podcast, doesn't always listen, but I, I, I'm really going to point him to this and be like, dude, you, you need, I would love yeah, to. Yeah, you need to hear this truth. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> I, I would love to, to, to hear his interpretation because, I mean, 
he's grown up as, I mean, he's grown up in a world that I cannot possibly understand. Um, I love talking to him about it because it, it's, there's so many insights that he can provide and, and he knows, you know, hearing you talk about it, like how to navigate a professional world, he knows how to, to, to handle all that. Um, it's always when when we talk about the serious stuff. I mean, because he's he's a goofball like John and I and and, and Joe. Joe's not much as much of a goofball as we are, but but to ha- I can have goofball conversations with him and talk comic books or or movies or whatever. But when I have those serious conversations and I get a dose of his reality, uh, and, and him and he's raising a biracial daughter, um, you know, it's you know we. Whatever stage I'm actually at, it's to to think it's like, man, I I I want to understand this. I I understand this. I want to understand this. I want to better know what I can do. Uh, you know, like I I I want to raise my kids and my kid doesn't see skin color. That it's that's not a black man or a, or a, a Hispanic woman. That's a man. That's a woman. That it's it, every time that I have an actual deep conversation with him, like I'm floored at how little I know and how little I understand and how much I think I can relate to or, 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 or sympathize, empathize with, but really it's sympathizing. You know, and empathy and sympathy are two very, very, yeah. um, very different things. People think sympathy is a good thing, and it's not really. Um, at least, you know, there's been a lot of circumstances. And it's also important to note that in the stages, it's, it's fluid. So I, when I was in the suburbs, mm-hmm. I could feel the effects of, of racism around me and I wouldn't lie to myself. That does a lot, a lot of good for my own psychological well-being. Right. That when I have an encounter and I know that it's a racist encounter, I don't lie to myself. I don't question what did I do wrong. Right. What could I have done better? No, I'm, I'm not going to have that conversation with myself. What happened is real and it just happened. Yeah. So when I'm in Northside Diamond Hill, when I leave this podcast and I go back home, I'm going to go back to a three, the good side of a three. Right. I'm in the hood. I'm with my people. I'm in my community. I feel safe. Right. So in a three, it's my sanity that I get to be when I worship. I don't have to think about my ethnicity. I don't have to think about that. But when I leave my home every day, I push myself to be in a five range as much as I humanly possibly can be. Same thing for white individuals. It's not easy to be a five because fives get fired. Fives get killed. (laughs) And I don't want to be one of those. Right. (laughs) So in my workplace, I'm I'm in the stage that I absolutely have to be in order to be able to continue to provide for my family. But as is written in uh, the books, the originals by Adam Grant, as is written in the books, the 50th law by 50 cent, I'm able to understand power. And I'm also able to understand that there are times that I can be an original and there's times that I absolutely should not be an original. Right. So being an original means that I'm going to take some calculated risks. Well, being an elected official, I don't get paid for that job. Right. I do that for volunteer. I, I'm a, I do that for free 99. So I can take more calculated <laughs> risks there. Than I would as a juvenile probation right. officer, or as I would as a parent, yeah. uh, or as a husband. I'm not going to take very many risks in those environments. Right. No. But yeah. I mean. So it's fluid, and we can go back and forth in stages. And then biracial and bi uh, biracial multiracial, they have their own stages as yeah. well. Well, and it's like in, in, in I, w- I would really love to have him on to talk about raising a biracial kid, but it's like his wife is Hispanic, so it's like that's a real mixed bag of of it, you know. And it's it, it fascinates me just the, the the struggle. I mean, because it's. I mean, there's no denying that there is one, and, and how he ap- approaches that, and it's just the, the whole conversation that it went in the direction of, you know, race, race, the history of race, and everything. It's, it's just another fascinating conversation that I look forward to having with him when I can actually sit down, just the two of us, and be like, okay, 
like educate me, learn, you know, help me, help me learn and, and better understand, you know, just better sense than I don't or, or that I can't possibly understand without insight from someone who can, you know, that's. Yeah, totally. Cinto, I want to, I know you're, you're talking about like how, I don't know, just you, you've had the opportunity to talk to people from, uh, you know, a bunch of different perspectives and it's, it's really helped you understand Oops. everything from everyone's okay. I, just, I, just, I, I was i was gonna since joe walked away i was gonna lower his thing and i lowered yours instead oh that's okay i was just saying so so you've you've gotten to talk to all these people and get all these different perspectives and show people other perspectives and uh i just want to say you know that's what our, our podcast is for dads talking to dads from different perspectives and it's been i know really educational for me today to hear your story and i want to thank you for coming on and uh, i was just wondering if you would hang out with us until the end of the podcast absolutely Call okay me in. okay right. awesome well then we are going to be back with america's favorite segments Welcome back. Now it's time for America's favorite segment, Ask the Dads. And Galan, I think you had a question for us today. So I, I do. So um, Ellie has, we, we've never really pushed Galan's her. Galan's daughter, she's yeah, four. Daughter, yeah, so she'll be five next month. Um, we've never really pushed her to snuggle or like cuddle with a stuffed animal. And yet, you know, she has countless Build-A-Bear, My Little Ponies, and Minions and everything. But she she found and has latched on to, like, this stuffed bear I got my wife. I forget when, because it reminded me of one of our cats. But yet we've never pushed her to that. So there's something instinctual about snuggling with a, the, a stuffed bear or whatever that that she has found that, that, is, is, that is inherent in kids. The other thing is... <laughs> That's very specific... To say that that's an, specifically a stuffed bear that looks well, like, like a, a stuffed, cat. You know, stuffed, that, stuffed. And I think every kid has. I hate you, John. No, no, no. <laughs> no, but, no. But security blankets. <laughs> yeah, and security blankets. Yeah. Shit. So it's and then the other thing, which is you know something else is when it comes to McDonald's, like we've not pushed McDonald's, but she has like and part of it was you know my my mom will take her because she watches she, she watch my mom lives with us and watches Ellie. Like on walks and McDonald's is is a good turnaround spot. So it's you know they they would go there occasionally, but Ellie loves Happy Meals. Without us being like, you want a Happy Meal? Sure. And you know like John's brother ventured. It's like because it's I mean, a very colorful like, place. You know, crack does its own marketing. Heroin yeah. does its own <laughs> yeah. marketing. I mean, like, I think like so they don't. <laughs> heroin doesn't have a marketing budget. You know. Yeah, but it's just it's so it's like there's something about McDonald's that kids just find <laughs> find you know hashtag I'm loving it. I don't know. Um, that Cocaine. that she has latched, you know, that she's just drawn to. So I guess for you guys, is there something that that you know a kid stereotype that your kids discovered on their own that you didn't push them to that you're just like, huh? So it's like it, not like it's surprising. Yeah, that they, it's surprising that they, that they just found it, on, like they they keyed in on something or they did something that all kids do without you trying to like promote that to them. That is a that's a really good question. Um, I actually have one. I thought of, um, so we've tried, uh, with having the daughter first to not buy into and go on. I, I know I've had these conversations, yeah. not buy into a lot of the gender stereotypes. We the buy a lot princess of princess. Yeah. We like to buy that. gender neutral stuff and like, you know, Sylvie loves Batman and, you know, let them find what they want to find and then support them in whatever that is. Mm-hmm. But my, Oh, I don't remember if she was six months or eight months. She, 
she was young. She might have even been younger than six months. And we were in Target, and we've got her in like the baby carrier. And we're walking around the kids section looking for clothes, and she grabs this like coral colored tulle skirt. It's like a big kind of dress up skirt, yeah. and like grabs it. And I was like, oh, okay. And I think like there's nothing about it. And every time I came around, she got excited and started like moving and grabbing it and like needed it. And I went, I think she actually wants it. And so she got it and she just loved playing with it. And like we put her in it, you know, she was way too little for it at the time. And she just kept grabbing it and like throwing it up and was like laughing and giggling and everything. And I went, I guess she likes this skirt and dress, even though like I'm not trying to push this. And she's been like that ever since. Like I've never like, oh, let's get dresses and let's do this. I mean, but she is always like, I want to be in dresses and I want to be in skirts and like, okay, well, I'm not going to stop you. If that's your thing, I'm not, but that is something that like, she just gravitated towards. And I was very like, okay. Ellie's favorite colors are green and orange, but when Mm -hmm. it comes to the shirt, she wants the pink one. Yep. And we've never pushed. No, pink is for girls. Right. We go down the girls. We went down it today. I mean, yeah, she likes my little pony, loves my little pony, loves Minecraft. Those are her two passions. (laughs) We found like, we go down the girl thing. She's like, these are the girl toys. So it's like it's not like we've actively been like you don't want to do princesses and Barbies because really I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because oh my gosh like that's even more expensive than My Little Ponies are, but it's just it's it's interesting like the the whole like she is drawn to girly clothes and colors without especially because Teresa's like my wife is not a girly girl by any means, um, and so it's just interesting that it's like she's just she is wired that way that she that's what she likes and I think that's awesome if she wants to wear skirts every day. Then great today she's I want to wear a tank top because you're wearing a tank top because I was not I was trying not to wear t-shirts all day and so it's like she sees that's, daddy wearing that's weird it. let's dive into that <laughs> yeah I don't think we have weird. enough time yeah, yeah. yeah never mind never mind <laughs> we'll many, get to it in a too many fetishes episode. to to appease but anyway so yeah so that's interesting <laughs> <laughs> you know what you're telling me that our listeners don't have a go on fetish we know that's a thing <laughs> I don't know, so so were there anything with anything with your son from there? <laughs> John was just like, just like and yeah. we're ignoring <laughs> this. Let's move on. Uh, Moving on. Were there anything with your sons? Uh, anything with your sons when they were little that you were just like, huh? That's interesting that they gravitated towards that. I, I'm thinking not only when they're little, but even right now in real time. My my youngest one, he has a bee. He has a blankie. And even when we were going on a trip here recently, he wanted to take it. He's 11 years old. Um, I had no one in our family, no one in my immediate family, had ever had anything like that. And you know, we'd seen the the Peanuts cartoon and we yeah. Lionel, the, yeah, Linus with his blanket. But uh, that was, that, that's been a fun ride with, with even in this last trip we took, my wife was like telling him, no, you're not going to take that because it's falling apart. It's literally going to fall apart. And I think we're probably going to frame it at some point. <laughs> yeah. But seeing that happen in a tradition, what, I'd grown up in a very traditional Mexican home. My dad would say, what the heck are you doing? Throw that thing aside, throw it in the trash. We're going to go get you another one. Yeah. Um, so, so having that transition to, to seeing that one, you're talking about stereotypes, you know, millennials and, and my son, my mm-hmm. oldest one, uh, I couldn't wait to leave the house. I couldn't right. wait to, 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 to get out of the home, uh, graduating from high school. And my dad had told me, he's like, and I told my sons the same thing. He said, you're leaving this house one of two ways. You either going to college and we're going to get you in a dorm or an apartment, or you're going to go out and you're going to go work in the real world, but you're not living here. And yeah. that was his way of saying, I love you, but you got to grow up. <laughs> GTFO. Yeah. Time yeah. to be a man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, time to be a man. So oh, That's a much more diplomatic way of putting it than I did. Yeah, that's right. So then my, my, <laughs> yeah. my old, you know, we would joke around with the oldest one and really the middle one too. 
where we'd say, hey, man, there's only one, two ways you're leaving this house. Or you're leaving this house one of two ways. In a body bag <laughs> or on a stretcher. <laughs> In a barrel. Is, a barrel. kind of jumping on the stereotype that they don't want to move, they don't want to leave the house. Huh. And, uh, you know, he's got a dorm. He's, he's living on campus. But the young man just loves being at home. And even right now, I think he's really – I mean, I, I don't think I know. He's dreading moving back to the campus. And I'm like, man, I'm, he's 20 years old. I'm, I'm sitting there like I couldn't wait to go get my freedom and do what I want to do. <laughs> I would and love he's to. Like, no. I would love to know where that cultural shift happened because I was like you. Like I couldn't. I mean, I'm, I'll be 39 in November. I cannot wait until I had my own place, and, and I had free, like total freedom because I live with my grandmother. Like I could do whenever I want. If we wanted to stay out until three o'clock in the morning, I could. She didn't care as long as I locked the door when I came in. Like, she didn't even need a phone call. I'll tell you, I have a working theory. That it is, okay, Mr. Millennial. Go ahead and tell yeah, us. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. Um, <laughs> that millennials' parents are really the first generation that have been open and honest, and have been like, "This is how the world works. This is emotions. Let's talk through stuff. Let's work Ooh, this out." Okay. And then they're not friends, but they have a bond that their parents did not have. Like the Tom Shalhoub mean dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Blair. and so millennials are like, I'm okay with going back home or staying home and just sitting and sitting around the table and talking about life because I feel like you know, you're gonna shoot straight with me. You're gonna talk through it. You're not just gonna be like, I don't have time for you. I'm gonna grab my beer. I'll be outside. Do your own thing. Like, don't bother dad. After right. Yeah. 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 Dad just yeah, said got the paper, got the beer, don't talk to him. The big piece of steak. Yeah. Yeah. Leave him alone. <laughs> That, that's like, my theory. I, I do like having the big piece of steak. I like being a dad for that reason. That <laughs> do, I get do, the you get the, do you get the second piece of chicken? I get whatever I want. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kalan's like, I get the whole pot of chicken. Look at me. <laughs> I eat well, okay? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Your daughter's very small for her age. No, I'm just kidding. Like, yeah, I mean, she might be in the 14th percentile of weight. Kalan's like, she needs to grab the food faster next time. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe if I don't slap her hand away. Just, no, ma'am. Well, uh, that was Ask the Dads, but let's move on to America's favorite segment, Dad Jokes. And uh, go on, Joe, you guys have any or you want me to? I got yeah. one. Oh, right. go, go for it. I got one. Here oh, by go. all means, go ahead and go yeah. first, Joe. All right. So, hey, it's all right. Because today a girl said she recognized me from Vegetarian Club, but I've never met her before. That's a good one that wow. kind of goes along with the ones I'll be telling this evening. Nice. But uh, go on. You want to go next? <laughs> yeah. What, what clothes did Delaware I don't know what? what. A New Jersey. Uh, nice. That is good. Nice. You got another one? Or? I don't. That's all okay. I got today. I got a few for you guys. Nice. If and they're they're all fruit themed. Oh, so that's it's going to be amazing. interesting. Not no, these are going to be terrible. If you had five oranges in one hand and five pears in the other hand, what would you have? I don't know what. Massive hands. <laughs> <laughs> why were the apple and orange alone? I don't know why. Why the banana split? Uh, heard that one before. Uh, yeah, that's an old one, right? Oldie bit of goodie. Did you hear the plum joke? No, I didn't. It was pitiful. <laughs> so I just want to say thank you guys for letting me share these fruit jokes. Uh, I was feeling very melancholy, but I found all of those jokes to be very appealing. Uh, and I really appreciate all of you sitting there and listening to them. All of it. Mm-hmm. All of it. I like that. Was that That's good. Fair enough. That was right there right. on the spur of the moment. Bad jokes. All right. All right. So those are bad. Like those were bad. I, I don't know why that's America's it. favorite segment. But now it's time for America's real favorite segment. Things to check out. Now, this is a segment that needs no explanation, yet that will not prevent me from explaining <laughs> it. This is a segment where we think if we think things are cool, we'll tell them that you should check them out. 
uh, we will tell you that you should check them out. Uh, like, give yeah. me another take on that. No. But uh, anyways, these can be dad-related, but mo- more than – like, usually they're not. Right. I stumbled all over that. Whatever. Yeah, that's okay. I'll just pull it from another one of the episodes. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, man. Thanks. <laughs> Do me a solid. Uh, guys, this week I discovered – this just came out, I think, August – Fourth, it's an Amazon original series called uh, Comrade Detective. Have you guys heard of this thing? I have heard. I've seen uh, ads for it, but I, is so, it good? Yeah. What it is, this is this is the premise of this series. Supposedly, it's a really popular Romanian detective series, like drama, crime, gritty crime drama from uh, '80s communist Romania that millions of Romanians used to tune into that then got a cult following was one of Stanley Kubrick's favorite like series to watch. And now this American director has gotten it digitally restored it. And they've overdubbed it in English with American voice actors, including Channing Tatum, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Jenny Slate, Nick Offerman, Jason Manzukas does a voice. Um, and so obviously it's like a it's a comedy thing it's fake it's satire but the production right. value is high enough that it looks like a legitimate gritty crime <laughs> drama but then you have these guys doing the voices in in sort of the ongoing gag is it's it's all like communism and marxism is all like you're awesome if you you know live to support the state um and uh redistribute the wealth of your fellow man and stuff like that and then like the the gag the ongoing gag with that is that democracy and capitalism make people weak and they're all the evil bad guys that are pushing drugs because they're just trying to get rich and also so it's it's pretty funny in that context funny um so anyways it's it's funny check it out it's on amazon right on who else? What else we got, guys? Uh, I'll go ahead and go. So, um, I actually have uh, a handful of things. Um, <sighs> that's okay. No, I'm I'll... gonna change this something to segment to be called "thing to check out." Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you guys so, are taking advantage. I of only that. have yeah, one yeah. this yeah. time, so we're so good. So it's uh, first thing I'll start out with is there was recently some stuff around. I think it was the fifteenth uh, anniversary of Battlestar Galactica, the like the second version of it that came out on Sci-Fi with uh, Edward James Almost and. Um, some other people that I don't remember the all actors. Those other people. Yeah. yeah, all those other people. Um, but it's finally a, made it to space. And he that's was the right. captain. The <laughs> badass hey, captain. Admiral. Admiral, that's right. Admiral. That's right, yeah. And captain. And There's captain, an admiral yeah. and a captain. Um, but it's, uh, so if you haven't had a chance, like I, I think it's on Hulu at the moment, but if you haven't watched it, watch it. And it, it you know, of course, there's sci-fi, but it becomes a very, very uh, character-driven show. It's one of my favorite TV series. I try to watch it once a year. I own it on Blu-ray. Um, but it's really great, especially with just the, the people going back and talking about the show. So if you haven't watched it, watch it. It's badass. Um, secondly, we're um, nerds. We're yeah, nerds, super by nerds. the way. <laughs> super nerds. If you didn't pick up on that immediately. If you aren't watching it, um, Rick and Morty Season 3 is out, which has been great. I'm, I'm a latecomer to, to the whole Rick and Morty thing, but um, that is a fantastically devious and twisted show that I laugh way too much about inappropriate things on. Um, so check that out if you haven't. Uh, the se- Seasons 1 and 2 are on Hulu. Season 3 is on a- AdultSwim.com. AdultSwim.com actually like plays it. Even if you don't have cable, you can just watch it. Um, because I- I've lost control of the TV at 10.30 on a Sunday. Um, so basically my Sundays are awesome because Game of Thrones and Rick and Morty. Um, <laughs> but then the thing to check out is, is going to be for a very small demographic of, of listeners out there. But as, as a musician, speaking of... Um, you know, recording stuff earlier. There are some Chinese copies of pedals out there, and 
I've tried a few of them. There's a um, guitar effects pedals. Yeah, guitar effects okay. pedals that you can search for. So just, you I know, was like flower pedals. Oh, sorry, yeah. yeah. And I went, wait um, a minute, that doesn't make any sense. And so like there was one, there was a, a germanium fuzz for 25 bucks. Really popular kind of fuzz. I think it's the kind of fuzz that, uh, you know, like Billy Corgan used on Siamese or Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream back in the 90s. Um, I had a an analog delay that I think cost me like 30 bucks. And normally these pedals, like a germanium fuzz is going to be you know, you know, for a decent one, you're looking at 80, 90 bucks for an analog delay. You're looking at a hundred to 150. Uh, I, there's this one, it's a uh, Donner is the brand name. And it, it was a, it was a white wizard is the, it's cause it's multiple modulations is what they call it. Um, and, and it, it's, I think it might be discontinued, but you can still find it for about 50 bucks on eBay. But it's, I mean, basically if you're familiar with guitar effects, it has a face or a flanger, a, a tremolo, an optical tremolo, like, has like 12 different effects and probably nine of them are solid. Um, I mean, I mean, that's the thing is like, I mean, it, it, it's a $50 pedal. You, you wouldn't expect much, but it's yeah. like, they're very, very usable. You can store presets. It has a tap tempo, which is really cool for setting the way the, the effect is the speed of your song. Um, but man, it's it, being able to try out these effects for fractions of the, of, of you know, the, the price of what it would normally cost. I mean, a multi-effect, uh, multi-modulation pedal, the only one I can think of is a line six one, which I think runs you a couple hundred bucks brand new. So pay 50 bucks or 200 bucks, but it's a, you know, so if you're a musician on a budget, especially if you're a dad and, and budgets are very, very real, then go to Amazon, do a search for, you know, mini pedals as a lot of them are, are miniature size too. So that's a plus. And uh, yeah, there's, I mean, multiple different brands and, and they're all copies of the mower, which is M O O E R um, A A Donner, uh, there's a whole bunch of them. I mean, there's and, and they're all pretty so much the same, the same pedals, just different brands. Um, and you know, if it, so for your budget guitar players, or you want to try something like I don't like germanium fuzz. I thought I would, but I don't. And it only cost me twenty five bucks, and I sold it for fifteen, so it really only cost me ten. Nice. So yeah. <laughs> so win win. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Cool. True. Sure all right. So my or was that it? I'm done. Did you do your twenty? <laughs> Let's go on with a hat trick. Right. <laughs> All right, so it's a hockey reference for you, uh, Texans. Right. Hey, I played varsity hockey. Thank you very much. Hey, I know we my have a Stanley Cup in Texas. I don't, know. Don't worry about the yeah, right. That's questionable, but I mean, it I is mean, not I mean, a questionable I mean, call. Not, not it was not questionable. Yeah. It was always a goal. Wayne, Gret- Wayne Gretzky Anyways. ruled it, so whatever. Yeah. I, I was. I don't really care about hockey. Uh, That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Hockey's badass. I just don't understand it. It's yeah. okay. Anyway. I only got a couple concussions. What was that? No, <laughs> I explained so much. <laughs> That's my wife. Not your friend. It's <laughs> your wife. Yeah. No. Uh, so my thing to check out, uh, kind of on the topic of what we were talking about today, as far as like kind of race in America and stuff like that, is the movie directed by Jordan Peele, Get Out. If that you have really not good. seen it. You are missing out. It is phenomenal. It's about um, this African-American guy who's dating this white girl, and she brings him home for the weekend, and then things start unraveling. They're not what they seem. I'm not going to give it away, but I heard it described as it's almost like a cross between uh, Stepford Wives and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Okay. Blend it with a little bit of horror elements, and there you go, or thriller elements, I guess. And it was absolutely phenomenal. I just, I can't recommend it highly enough. You've got to go see it. It speaks, it's a great commentary on society. And also it scares the crap out of you. So like, enjoy. Hey John, say horror for us. 
Horror. <laughs> yeah, being from Texas. It's a I, horror film. A blockbuster, I had to always make sure I slowed down and enunciated horror film. Because <laughs> like, it's, you it's have Texas, them like, kind of feel like, the blockbuster. You'll, you'll find that in the horror section. <laughs> like it doesn't sound good. Well, you got a bunch of horror films right here. Yeah, it's not. So, good. but before, if you, in case you have anything to check out before you get there, so a good portion of our listeners are from the Dallas Fort Worth area. So, and you talked about good food. So, my oh, yeah, curiosity. So. In, in the north side area, what are some of the restaurants to check out? The little hole-in-the-wall places that have the di- best damn food you've ever had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'm going to get there, but i got to transition okay. from what, okay, awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. what Joe just said. When I walked out of watching that movie with my wife, she and I were so paranoid to be around any white people. <laughs> <laughs> it put us back in stage three where white people are the enemy type of thing. Right? Hey, Sinto, how's it going, man? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Like that's that's exactly what happened. We were we were walking around near a mall, and it's like there's another white person. Let's walk in the other direction. <laughs> it's one of those. It's, yeah, it's a great movie. Okay, I'll have to watch that. Is that Jordan Peele one of made one of the most racially destructive movies? Is that on? Is, is that on your voodoo? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, I'm gonna check yeah, that out. Awesome. That movie's good. It's so good. So, so yeah, um, uh, mine definitely to check out. That's where I was gonna go with food to welcome everybody over to our side of town in the neighborhood, in the hood, and in the barrio, the everything that we love about it. Um, Number one spot for me, my dad's from the border, Acuña Coahuila, across from Del Rio. So there uh, we have Estilo Tapatio uh, tacos, which are like, really, we would call them flautas. Oh, oh they're like fried. Like, yeah, they're fried. Oh, yeah, everything's going to be bad for you, mm. right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, so I mean, look, I'm, I'm oh, okay with that. I'm down with that. Bro, I'm telling you, so then you get you get you half a dozen, and you, you get to pick, do you want salsa on them, not salsa, but they're all they all come with cabbage tons of cabbage on top and a bunch of sour cream they're just dipped in sour cream so i would recommend the green chile that's the best one nice. uh, and then the tacos that they have are, are super low priced i mean it always amazes me when i leave my neighborhood how much i have to pay for a taco uh <laughs> leaving north side or not being south side so that's north side and then in diamond hill you got benito's which is right by the diamond hill rec center they make some monster burritos um I... not not like the chipotle burritos right <laughs> Yeah, these are like super big and thick, like uh, three fifty. But Jeez, the only thing you can only pay in cash, so don't bring a card. Oh, uh, just so know. you know, and they'll tell you have a little written sign all jacked up and everything, but it says cash only. <laughs> but the burritos in there are insane. They're big. They put beans, meat, the meat of your choice. They put uh, hot sauce, chile, onions, um, cheese, and cilantro. And the thing is just monstrous. So I'm so hungry right yeah, now. Yeah, looking around the table, I think we need to eat at least two each. Here, right, but yes. yeah, those <laughs> two burritos. Holy so crap, I got I got to promote Northside and Diamond Hill, right? No, Northside. no, I, I yeah. want to. on 25th and Loving. Okay, and uh, Benito's over in Diamond Hill, cash I, only. I nice. think I've heard That's of Benito's awesome. before. When you said that, that sounds really familiar. I think I've heard someone at work talking about it. And there's one in Southside too. Okay, awesome. yeah, there's a there's a place that that I like to go to. Um, over in Grapevine called El Taco H, and I think oh, like yeah, the, yeah, I think the street tacos are like a buck fifty a piece or something like that. That's reasonable right there. And then and then you, you go in and it's like they have brisket ones, and I think my wife and I will order. Oh shit! I think like twelve. This is about to be a. I was gonna say this is about to be a sad <laughs> confession. No, like I think we'll order twelve, <laughs> and it's like just because they're so good. And then when my mom goes, like she actually because they'll do two of the the corn tortillas, and she takes them apart and takes the meat. Cause they put so much meat for a buck fifty, yes. and she makes. That's why I gotta have the tacos. two tortillas, dude. Yeah, she them. she just. But I I do onions and I don't I don't because they have gringo style, which you can do with flour with uh, lettuce and cheese. And I'm like, no, no, I just need onion and cilantro, and like heap it on there. And that's I'm all good. you need. And it's like I really I'm gonna tell Teresa I'm like, I think we have to go to El Taco H for dinner. 
or like, or Benitos or JBs. JBs, yeah. JBs. Dude, right, dude street tacos. I love that that's taken off because those are so effing delicious. Yeah, it's true. Like, well, I'll tell you how good JBs is. So they've got their their physical store right there on 25th and Loving, mm-hmm. but over on 25th and Clinton, right by the stockyards, they'll set up uh, one of them taco trucks. Oh yeah. And starting from 10 p.m. over the weekend, from 10 p.m. to about 4 a.m., that thing's got a long line. Wait, from 10 o'clock at night? Yeah. So that's when everybody's oh, leaving the it, hot spots. The oh, that's yeah. smart. They'll like all the bars. Seventh, yeah. From West 7th, from West 7th Street, they'll all head over to the neighborhood. And then you'll get your tapatillos. It's the only two things you really get. You can get tapatillos, which are those taquito things, or you get the, the street tacos. Yeah, those are so good. There's nothing better after a night of drinking than tacos. And Screw it, that. There's the nothing me- better than tacos. Coke. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, I, diabetics, I can't. It's, it's bad enough <laughs> that I do tacos, but it's like <laughs> I used to drink this. I used to drink really, a lot of them. Really bringing the room down, right? I know, I know. No, I'm just kidding. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna lose a foot, but the, the eating the tacos is worth it. We'll chop it off for you. Sweet. Then maybe we'll save me the doctor bill. I may just bleed out on your, <laughs> right, your dining uh, room. So, guys, it's come to that that time of the show uh, again. We pat ourselves on the back. We pat ourselves on the back for another uh, great episode. Good job, us. yeah, Cinto. Thank you very much yeah. for coming on, and thank you guys uh, for having me. Thank yeah, you for man, carrying. We'll, us. We'll, I mean, thank you for coming on. Yeah, totally yeah. carried that episode. <laughs> will, will you come back sometime? <laughs> Absolutely, I'd love to. Oh, come dude, back. yeah, awesome. we would love to. Have awesome. You guys, are good people, man. Thanks, awesome. Man. Well, thank you very much. Because <laughs> you don't know me. <laughs> what we, yeah, yeah. Uh, what we uh, always do here at the end of the show is we vote for uh, the the episodes hashtag so this is what we got this week we've got hashtag more cinto hashtag free 99 hashtag stage fives <laughs> so go on what do you want to vote for there free 99 for sure joe how about you uh i'll do free 99 all right what do you think i'm gonna go with what my wife says my wife says i love anything free so free 99 <laughs> all right that's it guys majority, free 99 John wins unanimously to vote, i'll go ahead and vote <laughs> go ahead Go ahead, dissent amongst us. Don't make it a unanimous thing. <laughs> no, it is. Uh, so, guys, as always, thank you very much. Uh, you can listen to our bonus segments on Patreon. You can get to that link through uh, detoxpodcast.com, uh, that, where you can also find all of our information about how to contact us on Facebook or Twitter or by email. Um, what else? Guys, thanks. Who do we thank? The sponsor for this episode. Yeah, but we thank uh, Diaper Dudes, Diaper Bags. Yeah, for uh, supporting the podcast. Yeah. And, uh, diaper Bags, by Dudes, for Dudes. Because Diaper Bags are for everyone. That's right. All right. All right. So, uh, guys, as always, um, hashtag free99 and hashtag be a better dad, and we will see you next time. Special thanks to John, Justin, and Eddie for supporting the podcast. Thanks so much, guys.